0: van morris writes about three sisters who lived together for a number of years ages 92 94 and 97 one night the 97 year old drew her bath got halfway in and then stopped finally she yelled was i getting in or was i getting out <laughs> the 94 year old downstairs hollered out wait a minute i'll come up and help so she left left the kitchen started up the stairs halfway up she stopped and then hollered out was i going up or coming down The youngest sister, the 92-year-old, was sitting in the kitchen having some tea, listening to her sisters, one stuck in the tub, one stuck on the stairs. Smirk on her face, she just shook her head, said, Those sisters of mine, I hope I never get as bad off with memory as they are. Knock on wood for good luck. Then she yelled out, Now just wait a minute, and I'll come up and help you both out as soon as I find out who's at the front door. (laughs) That's where we're all heading, by the way. We're all getting a little closer, too, every day. In fact, there are a lot of things about growing old that nobody likes. I have an older brother who also pastors the church. He he called me on the phone the other day, and he said because of his knee problems, he's got knee problems, too. His problems are different than mine. His is because he's getting old, not me. Anyhow, (laughs) he told me on the phone that uh, several years ago, his doctor had told him to stop jogging and start walking. For exercise, but had just recently told him to stop walking for exercise. Start riding one of those bicycles indoors. And no one likes the um, the increasing effects of aging, uh, of growing older. In fact, if you've walked into a room looking for your glasses, only to realize looking in the mirror later that you already had them on, you know what I mean. That ever happened to you? Me neither. We are in denial, aren't we? The truth is we're surrounded by a culture that is in desperate denial and they're paying a fortune to keep up the appearances of youth. you got to look young, you got to stay young, you got to sound young and act young. So the anti-aging industry, not the health industry, but the anti-aging industry is now in America a $100 billion a year industry. And one health expert wrote and admitted, it's really all about peace of mind. We just don't want to get older. According to the Bible, old age is viewed as a fruitful time. A time when you can return to the generation behind you. The knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment and the balance that you've gleaned from truth, from life, from faith... David writes of bearing fruit in old age, Psalm 92, 14, growing old enough to turn around and say, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen God ever forsake the righteous. Never once. You've got to be old enough to say that with meaning, Psalm 37, 25. And for a culture that is terrified of getting older, it's really time for us to think as a church of, of the opportunities of that and the obligations and the responsibilities. The Bible doesn't ask us to avoid old age or, or even resist it. It actually welcomes you to it. And then it turns around and it commands you to take advantage of it. See, the Bible venerates gray hair. It, it, it considers it tantamount with wisdom. Solomon wrote that those who walk with God, their gray head is a crown of glory. Proverbs 16. At the same time, the Bible challenges the aging to maximize that wisdom, to maximize their experience, to maximize their trial-tested faith for the glory of God and for the benefit of the church in a culture that refuses to act its age. I want to show you in a few minutes here where the Bible actually commands us to act our age. In fact, I find it fascinating that, that Paul's solution to false teaching and false teachers on the island of Crete, was not only sending Titus in to appoint elders, shepherds who would teach faithfully, but to put the rest of the church family on special assignment, so to speak. And their special assignment is going to be, effectively in this letter, related to their age. If you know enough about the New Testament epistles, these are letters from the apostles, most of them written by the apostle Paul. Paul. Paul often talks to groups of people. He'll talk to husbands, and then he'll talk to wives. He'll talk to men, then he'll talk to women. Talk to older people, and then to children, and so on. Employers, employees. These are family talks, so to speak. Well, he's about to command Titus to carry on his own family talk as he teaches the congregations on the island of Crete. And and you're going to discover that Titus is going to first and foremost speak to older men. Turn with me to the letter of Paul to Titus in chapter 2. Now when Paul wrote this letter, did you hold in your lap? I hope you did bring a copy along to mark up, to look at. Hold me accountable. If you don't have one, lean over. Somebody might share with you. When he originally wrote this letter, there were no chapter divisions or... Verse numberings, that was all added about 400 years ago to help Bible students find their way to the text more easily. And most of the time it's helpful. Sometimes it interrupts the flow, and this is one of those times. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 16, and get a running start to get the idea of what he's saying. They, that is the false teachers, profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, you see, the word you is emphatic. But you, Titus. In other words, this is what the false teachers are teaching. This is how the false teachers are living. But you, Titus. We've got something different in mind. In fact, if you look at verse 1. But you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. There's that word Hugaino again, hygiene, sound doctrine. In other words, Titus delivered to them things related to spiritually healthy teaching, wholesome, uncontaminated, clean doctrine, and do it the tense of this imperative, do it continuously. In other words, the congregation is to receive from their shepherds regular and pastoral instruction about practical Christian living attitudes and actions that should result from sound doctrine. Now, what's surprising here is that you might think that Paul will immediately launch into what sound doctrine is. But you'll find in chapter 2 not a review of sound doctrine. He doesn't cover any major doctrine. In fact, notice the command in verse 1 a little more carefully. Titus, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, call a family meeting, spell out for everybody the kind of lifestyle that is fitting from prepo. That which matches sound doctrine. It's appropriate to sound clean teaching. The kind of lifestyle and attitude that matches it. That goes hand in glove. You say you believe it. Let me see it. So Titus chapter 2 really has nothing to do with our belief system. It has to do with our behavioral system. Titus is not going to give them a pop quiz on the content of their beliefs. He is... Commanded to teach them about the character of the believer. Paul has already exposed the character of the false teacher, the lifestyle of the Cretans, those who live on the island of Crete. And as you know, if you were with us, Paul essentially cleaned their clocks, didn't he? Now he moves on to describe the lifestyle of the Christian. And he's going to be just as blunt, just as in our face, and just as revolutionary. He's going to talk to every age in this family talk. And by the way, he's going to address issues like anger and immorality, immaturity, gossip, substance abuse, laziness, priorities, dishonesty, disobedience, backtalk, innuendo, and even stealing. He's just going to lay it all out. And here's the point. If you want to be perceived by the Cretan. As authentic Christians, these are the kinds of attitudes and actions that match up with the genuine item of uncontaminated, true, clean, pure doctrine. And he begins his family talk by addressing old men. Now maybe you're wondering who's considered in here an old man so that I can just let Stephen preach to them while I relax. Well, I'll tell you in a minute. But let me tell you, first of all, that Paul is going to deliver six different characteristics of what it means to be a godly old man. Notice the first one. Older men are to be temperate. Older men are to be. Don't miss the implication of that first phrase. In other words, it's possible for an older Christian man to not be these things. He's commanding them to be temperate, which implies they may not be. An older Christian, by the way, isn't automatically a godly Christian. Old age doesn't make a Christian man more faithful, more satisfied, more godly, more contented, more effective in service to God. You'd think Paul wouldn't have to tell old men anything. I mean, who wants to to begin with? Right? They're already this way. This is who they are. No, not necessarily. The fact that they are included in this family talk, but referenced first, implies the critical nature that of every age group, this one, we've got to get this one down. And I'm going to explain why as we go through our study today. The first characteristic is temperate. Originally, the word meant unmixed with wine. You could translate it woodenly, wineless. It came to refer to people, and I think this is Paul's thinking here, people who were sober in their mind. That is, they are in control of their passions, their words and actions. Now, the word would be used to refer to a man who resisted being overindulgent, excessive, You know, given to passions and emotions that flare up and just as quickly uh, die down. One Greek scholar added that this word also came to describe a man who is free from excesses, free from what we would call today addictions to destructive things like pornography or illegal drugs, both of which were rampant in first century Rome. See, Paul has already described Cretans as effectively dirty old men. You remember in chapter 1? Their mind and their consciences are defiled. They're dirty. They're sullied. Now let's do something about it. And remember, he's talking to men who are Cretans. I mean, you used to be that way. Now let's show our culture what it means to be healthy and wholesome and clean and uncontaminated men. It fits with the doctrine that we say we believe. Let's show them what it, what it looks like to be a godly old man. Okay, who qualifies to be an old man? You've waited long enough. Who is Paul addressing as this family talk begins? Well, we know from Greek literature, we have to go there for help, that during the days of Paul and Titus, the word used here in verse 2 for older men was used for men who had reached the age of... Fifty. Oh, some of you go. <laughs> and others are going, oh, great. This is for the old guy sitting next to me. I'm off the hook. Well, if you've reached 50 or, or you're borderline or maybe you crossed the border years ago, this is for you. You're an old man. I didn't call you that, Paul did. You're an old man. And there's no need denying it anyway. I mean, if you're 50 and I'm with you. You already know you're getting old anyway, right? I read one guy who wrote, you know you're getting old. In fact, you know you're old when you recognize the music on the elevator and can sing along. (laughs) You know you're getting old when you've owned clothes for so long they've come back in style twice. Well, in the mind of Paul, who wrote this letter to Titus, Long before the invention of elevators in his thinking, if you're 50, you qualify. Notice what he adds next to the list. Older men are to be temperate. Here's an interesting word, dignified. The word is semnas. It means to be worthy of respect. It can, it can have the connotation of being serious-minded. Now, don't get the idea that Paul is talking about a killjoy who would never laugh, never have fun. Oh, far from it. But it does refer to a man who won't laugh at the wrong thing. He won't laugh at the expense of somebody else. He won't laugh at vulgarity. There, there's, a, there's a dignity about him that, that uh, you, you notice. It, it simply means he's not superficial, He's not shallow. There is a depth to him. One Greek author said it this way, there is a weightiness to his character. The word dignified could be referring basically to a man who is truly grown up. See, the, uh, the Cretan men, we've seen them described in chapter 1, they were adolescents, What's adolescent activity? What's adolescent thinking? Somebody who lives for himself and his own desires. Somebody who views people as pawns. I want this now. I, me, and my. You remember the Cretans didn't even want to work. They, they wanted to be paid. They wanted a life of, of luxury. They didn't want to accept responsibility or self, self-sacrifice or a work ethic that went beyond their own comfort level. In, in a word, they wanted to remain adolescent. Feed me now. So the implication here in verse 2 then is that it's possible for an old man to act like a little boy. Paul is saying to the Christian, show your culture what it means to act your age. What's the opposite of it? Well, the cultural adolescent is all about his own shallow reflection. You look at my clothes, look at my muscles, look at my money, look at my women, look at my condo, look at my car, look at my job, look at my title, look at all my cool stuff. In other words, respect me because of what I have. Paul says, no, 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 no. Dignified means you are respected because of who you are. By the way, we happen to be living in a really interesting time in the Western world where it is experiencing the same phenomena, and there, there's data and reports that are coming in from France and Italy and England and America about men. I recently finished reading a book that I'd started over a year ago, and I finally got it finished written over a 10-year period of time by an unbelieving journalist. The book is startling. In fact, it's not written from a Christian perspective. It, it is certainly applicable to the challenge facing the church as it exposes culture in a way that you're almost surprised that unbelievers will do. It's entitled The Death of a Grown-Up. It's one of the few books that I would recommend from the pulpit to be read by every parent and pastor, every youth leader, every teacher, elementary, middle school, high school, a counselor. It tells you what we're dealing with. In our culture, British surveys reveal that today, 46%, 46% of adult couples in Great Britain regard their parents' houses as still their real homes. In Italy... Nearly one out of three 30-year-olds have never left and don't plan to. In fact, one case in Italy caught my attention where a 30-year-old in his early 30s, a young man successfully sued and won. The court sided with him that his father was responsible to give him financial assistance even though he had left and had his own condo. The father was still responsible to pay for him, he was unemployed, this young man. Now look, he was paid because he couldn't find, quote, a job that met his personal goals and ambitions. Listen to this. More adults in America, more adult men in America, ages 18 to 49, now watch the Cartoon Network more than they watch CNN. CNN which tells you how bad CNN is, okay? (laughs) You get my point. Are you clapping for the Cartoon Network? or? (laughs) There's some good stuff on there, I'll admit. Okay, you got my point. The average video gamester in 1990 was 18. Today, he's in his 30s. In fact, the National Academy of Sciences Back in 2002, redefined adolescence. You know, it's the period of time between the onset of puberty and adulthood. They officially redefined it to now last between the age of 12 to the age of 30. In fact, the MacArthur Foundation has gone further still funding a major research project that argues now that the transition in America to male adulthood does not end until age 34. Let me tell you, that is a truckload of implications for us as a church. How we serve, how we mentor, how we disciple, and it has a lot to say about our culture. What this means is that we have developed a generation parented by adolescents whose life ambition was all about I, me, and my, people that are my age, and now the generation coming up has taken it to a new level, not making the transition out of adolescence into adulthood until into their mid-30s. We've watched our parents believe that being an adult, an old person, is really bad. We don't ever want to leave where we are. One secular journalist put it this way, just look around, we're surrounded with grown-ups who haven't left childhood. People in their 40s and 50s, one former universal marketing executive wrote, you cannot find anymore any clear demarcation of what's for parents and what's for kids. Men in particular now even dress like their sons from message and blazon t-shirts to chunky athletic shoes, both equally at ease in the baggy rumple of eternal summer camp. And By the way, I've watched over the last 10 years this impact even the ministry. A pastor today doesn't want to stand up before his congregation or sit, looking like a dignified adult, because adult equals old. Adult isn't youth, and we don't want to not look like we're youth and so we're going to even show up here looking like we've come from summer camp. Why? Because the last thing you want to be is a mister. You remember that day? The first time you were called mister? How you recoiled from that? Who are you talking to me? And the stewardess said, Yes, sir. Sir? No tip for her. One author wrote, Our civilization has a near religious devotion to perpetual adolescence. The last thing you want to be is an old man. The solution is not going to be sudden. In fact, Paul knew the solution would be first to challenge the older men to begin to pursue these characteristics and to develop this and to continually teach this to pursue these characteristics and then turn around and mentor and disciple the younger men who never had a father who'd grown up. They had a father who was an adolescent. I can tell you after spending recent days with and time with some of our leaders, we're going to be taking new and aggressive initiatives of, as, as a church family to train men in this regard encouraging older and more spiritually mature men to mentor younger women. You saw a fascinating ministry moment a little while ago about how the women are doing this. Wonderful ministry. We need to be doing this as men. Uh, Pastor Wiley told me his Wednesday morning quest is going to begin exploring ways for older men in the faith to mentor younger men in the faith. This fall there will be new initiatives in men's ministries. One of the the studies is going to follow along with this title, 17 things I wish my father had taught me. But he didn't. Next month, the Men's Ministries is bringing a businessman, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, to come and share his testimony and what it means to be a distinctive Christian man in the community. And those of you who are men, you need to be here for that. Listen, the church has to be the place. It has to be the place where we have within our family circle older men who aren't ashamed of that, who are willing to live like that, who are willing to pursue the temperance and the dignity of old age, who can have fun and enjoy life, who will mentor younger men, who will become more than likely the first genuinely mature father figure younger men in the church have ever had. Older men must be worthy of respect, not because of what they own, but because of who they are. See, that has to change. And he tells the older men to be that way. Let me give you another word. He adds to the list, the older men must be sensible, Now this is one of Paul's favorite descriptions for the entire family, by the way. It's the only term he uses not only for older men, but young women and young men. And then later on in verse 12 of chapter 2, he's going to tell the whole church to be sensible. He loves this word. It refers to soundness of thinking, of mind. It it then flows into self-discipline. In other words... You are maturing as an older man because you are doing the right thing, not just because someone is telling you to or someone is reminding you to, but because you want to. It's part of your daily passion. So you get up in the morning and you effectively pray, Lord, today I want to think right. I need wisdom to judge issues to determine what's good and what's better and what's best in my life. And old men are great for this. Why? Because old men have lived long enough to see just about everything. Older men have lived long enough to know by then that sin promises a whole lot more than it'll ever produce. Older men have handled enough money to know that it can't bring happiness. And it can take wing and fly away. Older men have owned enough stuff to know how quickly it gets shoved in the attic. Older men have seen enough sickness and suffering to know that life is fragile and unpredictable. And so older men can teach younger men how to relish the moment. See, they've grown in discernment, in balanced thinking, which is the characteristic of this word, sensible. They've they've grown tall enough for their feet to touch the ground. Finally, Paul adds at the end of verse 2, they're to be sound in their faith, love, and perseverance. There's that word sound again. They're to be healthy and whole. They're to be uncontaminated in their faith, in their love, in their perseverance. What does he mean? Sound in faith describes their relationship with Jesus Christ. It's healthy. It's growing. It's ongoing. It's unfettered. It's uncontaminated. It's kept clean, and that's daily business, right? Sound in love describes relationships with other people, an ongoing choice to exercise agape, which is Paul's word used here. That's the selfless love of commitment. It is affection for others based on volition. Sound in perseverance simply means you're committed to doing the above. You're going to persevere at it. You're going to keep at it, no matter what. Now, what Christian man wouldn't sign up? Yeah, I'd love a healthy relationship with God, and I'd love for my relationships with people to be sound, but how many will sign on for the perseverance demanded of them to pursue soundness and purity and wholeness in faith and in love, no matter what? How many men have justified going out the back door? I choose not to to persevere in that manner. Well, I thought the Spirit of God, I mean, when I signed up to have a good relationship with Him and a good relationship with people, I thought the Spirit of God would kind of smooth everything out as soon as I signed up. (laughs) Listen, the, the, the greatest demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God was in God the Son, Christ Jesus, not escaping the cross, but enduring the cross. He persevered. He, fully God, yet fully man, in his perseverance and soundness and health in all of his relationships, has become for us the perfect model of an older man. Even though he never reached 50, he was that mature. What the family and the church family needs, according to Titus chapter 2, first and foremost then, and this is all we're going to get to today, but we're going to deal with the older men. They must be in pursuit of him, pursuing these characteristics, while all others pursue everything else. Older men lock in on these things, pursue what really matters. In one of his books, writer Robert Fulgham tells the story of when his daughter was six or seven years old, she gave him a paper bag to take with him to work. When he asked her what was in the bag, she said, well, just some stuff, take it with you. Well, he got to work, sat down, eventually got at his lunch, and there was the paper bag. He poured out its contents. Two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and thirteen pennies. He looked at him while he ate, finished his lunch, kind of swept off everything into the wastebasket, and went back to work. When he arrived at home, his daughter ran right up to him and said, Where's where's my bag? I left it at work. Why? Well, she said, you know, those things in that sack, Daddy, those are things I really like. I I thought you might like to play with them too. But now I want them back. When she saw her dad hesitate, tears welled up in her eyes and she said, You didn't lose the bag, did you, Daddy? He said he didn't. And after she went to bed, he raced back to the office. Fogham writes, and I'll quote him, Molly had given me her treasures, all that a little girl held dear, and I missed it. I missed it. And I didn't just miss it. I'd thrown it away. I went back to my office. I dumped all the waste baskets out onto my desk. The janitor came in and said, did you lose something? I said, yeah, my mind. It's probably in here somewhere. Help me find it. I found the bag, uncrumpled it, filled it again with my daughter's items, two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies, and I brought them home. I went up and I sat down on the edge of the bed with Molly, and I had her tell me all over again the story behind every treasure in her bag. Then he writes, to my surprise... Several days later, Molly gave me the bag once again. Same old bag, same stuff inside, but I felt forgiven. Over several months, the bag was given to me from time to time to take with me to the office. I was never clear why I I got it or why I didn't get it on a a particular day. (laughs) Uh, I began to think of it as a daddy prize, and I tried to behave the night before so she'd let me have it. (laughs) In time... Molly turned her attention to other things. She grew up. She gave me the bag one morning and never asked for it back. It sits in my office today, left over when my little girl said, This is my treasure and it's yours. He writes, I missed it the first time but not now. Dear friends, I think that in the opening lines of this family talk, Paul is telling the church, and through Titus, the church will be taught what we need first and foremost, are older men who have learned what not to throw away. what to keep, what to pursue, what to treasure. Men who've grown old, they've left adolescence, and they've grown up. How can we be sure we're doing the same? Well, pursue these qualities of character... And you'll know. By the way, if you want to be an old man like this, it's never too early to start. Start now. Go after the avoidance of excesses, the balance of thinking, the dignity and bearing of someone who has weight to his character. Soundness, health in your relationship with God Loving commitment to your relationship with others and then perseverance to see them through until you cross the tape we need old men who've discovered the nature of true treasure who are committed to pursuing what really matters listen I'm going to say this and then we're going to close but I want to say this the old men in here who know, who've learned what true treasure is, I want you to know you are treasure. You are a treasure. Not only to those who know you, but to this church family, those who have the privilege and the blessing of knowing you and listening to you And watching you and following you, you are the treasure. I've gone so far over time, I'm just going to say God bless you. Have a wonderful day. You are dismissed. God bless you.